You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Transform the way you hunt with the all-new base cellular trail camera connected by the Moultrie Mobile app. Moultrie Mobile's Industry Best app gives you complete control over your camera settings, up-to-the-minute updates from the field, and other interactive scouting tools on your smartphone or computer. Features like weather forecast, advanced species recognition, interactive maps, and a whole lot more. For more information and to make your purchase, visit www.moultriemobile.com. Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1, O-U-T-D-O-O-R, and the number one. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. The Southern Ground Hunting Podcast is brought to you by Spartan Forge. It's forged in combat and tailored for hunters. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that save the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You can start your free 14-day trial today by visiting SpartanForge.ai and you can use the code SOUTHERNGROUND, that's all lowercase, all one word, SOUTHERNGROUND at checkout, and that'll get you 25% off of your purchase. If you're wanting to know more about saddle hunting, well check out TetheredNation.com for all your saddle hunting needs. Tethered is for saddle hunters, by saddle hunters, and they're redefining ultralight hunting. If you'd like to support the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast, you can visit patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting, or you can click on the link in the show notes of this podcast episode. We offer two different tiers for our patrons that offer a solid list of benefits. We'd love for you to join the Southern Ground Hunting community today. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash southern ground hunting. And now let's get to the show. Hey guys, last year was a wild year for censorship for hunters and anglers. We've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild was built by outdoorsmen and women and by hunters and anglers just like you. Go Wild is a free social community. Not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged on Go Wild. Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing your trophies, gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you start to unlock awesome rewards too such as gift cards, free stuff, knives, huge discounts on brands like Garmin and Vortex, and so much more. Oh, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. Visit DownloadGoWild.com to get started. All 
All right, everybody, welcome back to the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. I am excited to have my buddy Dan Johnson all the way in the land of the Giants in Iowa. Dan, how's it going up there in Iowa? It's going good, man. It's going good. I tell you what, I got to say this. All right, so I uh, I used to live in northern Alabama, right somewhere right around where you're where you're stomping around at. Okay? Yeah, really close. Right. Really close. <laughs> really close. So, um, you you mentioned Iowa is the land of the giants. When I was there, all right, uh, I was working in I was working nights, so I would I would drive. Oh man, like right at prime time, both morning and evenings to come into work, right? And so. When I was in northern Alabama, I saw what I think was one deer just driving the back roads, okay? And I it was the size of like a big dog. It was a doe, the size of a like a big dog, right? So you you got to tell me that's not what northern Alabama is though, right? I mean, here here's the thing, dude, like according to numbers and like uh I, I don't would it be called census uh, I guess yeah. it wouldn't be a, the deer census Alabama as of 2015 is like number four in the in the country for deer density like it Dang. is the fourth highest deer population um yeah. which surprised the crap out of me whenever I saw it because I'm kind of like you man like you don't just see deer when you're out driving like you know driving roads. You hear guys, uh, you know, in the Midwest over where you're at, like this time of year, they're putting a spot and scope on bean fields and seeing 50 deer in the evening and finding the buck that they want to kill and all this stuff. And it's like, yeah, that's just unheard of. I, I, I don't know. I guess you could do it out here if you have an unpressured piece of private land with soybeans on it or something. But <clears throat> I mean, yeah, it, it's what you experience is pretty much what. That's what I experience in in especially in this part of the state. Um, yeah. There, there's other places where there's better deer populations for sure. But I mean, I don't know, man. I notice a complete difference whenever I cross up into Tennessee when I'm driving, taking a road trip, whatever. Like, yeah. there's all of a sudden deer everywhere, and that just yeah. I don't know what it could be, I, but I, but yeah. I understand what you're saying. And it was the size of a dog, huh? Yeah, I mean it was it was small. It ran across the road uh, about a hundred yards up in front of me, and I was like, "What was that?" And then I saw the tail come up on it. I was like, "Dang, that's a small, small deer." But at the same time, you know my uh, my thoughts of how, what the South is as far as deer hunting have really changed since I've gotten to know you and talk with other guys from the South because um, it sounds to me like there's you know, obviously from the antler size standpoint, right? There's parts of Mississippi where, and even, you know, the, the rare one-off it, that guys will have the ability to, I don't know, manage a deer, uh, you know, manage deer, pass deer. Uh, but, but aside from that, there's just so much opportunity there in the South for guys who just want to kill a lot of deer. And I think you're proof of that. So I don't know that thanks for changing my mind about the South. Yeah, man, and and it, it's true. There is there is a lot of opportunity. Um, we have a decent amount of public land here in the South, and you know, if a guy I, I got asked by a fella named Brody Swisher, I don't know if you know him or not, but 
He writes for uh, bowhunting.com. He asked me a question for an article the other day. He said, do you think, uh, do you think the cost of hunting is driving people away? And I'm like, man, you know, I mean, no, not really. Um, there's lots of opportunity to go and hunt in states like Texas, maybe. Yeah, that, that could be valid. But in a, in a place like Alabama, I mean, Dan, you know, as well as I do, you don't have to have the nicest new bow and $150 broadheads and, you know, uh, uh, $500 saddle set up or whatever. You don't have to have all that yeah. stuff to kill a deer. It's not right. necessary. Um, right. I think the mindset though has, it is in the process of changing for all of hunting. Right. So let's just say, let's just go back 10 years from now. And I, I want to answer that question that that guy asked you. I, I do think, uh, it, uh, price is driving people out uh, of hunting. And what I mean by that is there's a group of people in my, this is my opinion. There's a group of people out there who only want to kill big deer, but they know that, you know, in order to get to a big deer, you got to have a higher age class. And that means hunting in a neighborhood, uh, that other hunters, if there is other hunters in your neighborhood that they need, they're, they're letting small deer pass. Right. And so what we have now, and this is, this is what I'm talking about is in Iowa, the cat's out of the bag in Iowa right? The cat's out of the bag in Illinois. It's been like, Illinois is a, a perfect example of what I feel like parts of Iowa are either at already or heading to. And that is the, the landowner knows that they can get more money off their land by, um, leasing it to an outfitter or leasing it directly. Um, land prices are ex like ridiculous right now throughout all of, um, Iowa. And so if is you want that is that because of deer hunting land prices or is there um, other resources that are going up as well there? Yeah. So I f like, I'm no expert on this, but I feel like obviously ag ground, uh, is still trumping, um, still trumping rec ground, recreation ground, but depending on how far you live from, I guess, if you want to call it a city center or a bigger city, um, I live on the east side of the state in between two of like, I guess, bigger cities for Iowa. And in the county that I live in, recreation ground is going for $10,000 an acre. So hmm. that, that right there is an example of, yeah, deer hunting is, deer hunting is influencing it. Now, if you go, go to other, other uh, counties, right um outside of this is a this is a bad example because it's the it's the upper end but if you drive south an hour or west an hour or north an hour i don't think you're going to be paying those prices with that said land prices are still expensive compared to where they were and uh i feel like like the 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 days of knocking on doors to get permission are if they're not over they're going to be over soon so access um, and if you want to, it's like, this is the, this is, I didn't do it, but the last two years I've strongly considered leasing a property and I just, A, didn't find the right one or, or the right property or, and or just like, I'm convincing myself, Jesus, man, like, is the big antlers really important because you're essentially, that's what you're paying for. And I, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm having this internal debate to, 
to see, dude, do I want to, do I want to pay for a lease or do I want to take maybe one or two out of state trips? So I don't know that from a money standpoint, I really do. I, I, I hate to be the doom and gloom guy, but I really do think that that is the direction in certain states, my state in particular, that's where we're heading. And it's going to be a pay to play uh, type scenario within the next 10 years. You could also say like Iowa, I mean, you can't, as a resident of Iowa, you can, you have, you know, even on public land, you have a, you know, I think a decent amount, not a crazy amount, but okay. You know, you've got opportunity on public land, but for a non-resident in Iowa, I mean, you're, you're going to it, you're, you're at in a draw system. um, And man, and the tag itself is pretty dang expensive for a deer tag and And you add up the five years of preference points it takes to hunt some of those units right right. you got to buy those as well so for a non-resident i mean i can't i can't complain because as a resident i want to keep i want to keep it the way it is Mm -hmm. right but the more people that are i mean this this is out west as well like when you start talking about states like wyoming um you start talking about states like uh um, any preference point states there's that point creep that keeps going up and up and up because more people are wanting to hunt, you know, mm-hmm. hunt it. And they're not, I have a feeling they're not necessarily, I'm, I'm guessing in some of, some of the non-residents are going to public. The state of Iowa is less than 2%. I think if we're not the bottom of, you know, if we're not number 50, we're 49 between us and Kansas. And so those are two states that have big deer, but very few like very little public lands. Mm -hmm. So another thing that I want to say about, about Iowa, and this is just me pretty much bitching at this point is a lot of people are like, Oh dude, but you live in Iowa. Yeah. You know, I knock on doors. I have permission to certain farms, but the public land in Iowa gets hunted and and it gets hunted hard. Okay. We're just lucky that we have a, a higher age structure. And so you know, the, the, all the, of the farms that surround the public land can hold deer, the deer can escape and then they can come back or, or whatever. Right. There's still, there's still, it's just the age class is higher. And so we have great nutrition and things like that, which makes the, the public land great, but there is still, we're still fighting pressure uh, on, mm-hmm. on that public land. So what would you say, what would you say like Antler, antler wise, ant, just just talking about size of antler. So Alabama, uh, I would say a typical three and a half year old deer um, is going to be somewhere around 100 to 110 inches here yeah. in Alabama. What would you say yeah. in Iowa, if if you were to kill a three and a half year old, what would you say the average uh, average inches of a of a three and a half year old buck? out there i mean it's like it's hard so let's say let's say i say parker what can you expect if you come to iowa and hunt that's fair i I like that i will say parker if you put your time in you hunt hard you're going to have the opportunity at at least a 140 okay from a three-year-old standpoint this is going to sound crazy i've passed 160 inch three-year-old okay so the genetics are here, but on average, if you're talking about, uh, 
maybe a 140 class, uh, uh, 130 to 140 class 10 pointer, uh, maybe a 130 class eight pointer, which is a really good deer for an eight pointer as a three year old. I, th- I feel like I, th- I feel like a guy could expect to see those, but also if they come and they have the, the time and they really put their work in, there's an opportunity in the, this is what I feel in the late November after the initial, let's say 10 days of the rut, I would say from the 10th to the 20th is when, in my opinion, the, the mature big dogs are on their feet and they just start going crazy. Like they, they, they've bred their first doe, maybe two does by then and they're off and they just, they scour the landscape looking for one last doe. And, and from trail camera data, that's when I see just deer that I've never seen before show up. So it, it, it's really from a, from a, you know, what can you expect to see? Man, you could expect, you can expect to see a giant, but you could also expect to see, I mean, some, some decent deer, man. I'm not going to lie. I, I, I feel like I was the best for a reason. Uh, and one of the best for a reason. And it's because of how we've structured our, our tag allocation. That's uh that's funny. You say that because I have, I have been a, a Dan Johnson fan for a long time. Um, before I was a Dan, Dan Johnson friend, uh, yeah. I was just a, just a fan of everything that you did. And as we were talking while we were recording, I was kind of sharing with you kind of the things that initially, uh, I really, really liked about you. And it's kind of your raw, honest, real approach. Um, I love the fact that in some of your older episodes, you can hear kids, you know, crying and <laughs> screaming. And uh, our very first conversation when I came on as a guest to your podcast, you said hello, and then you started yelling at your kids. And I was like, man, this, I like this guy. Um, and, uh, and, I've, and I've always really liked that about you. But I say all that to say I followed you for a while and um, noticed – one of the things that I notice about deer hunters, especially deer hunters with a platform, is if they're consistent in doing the thing that they're talking about. Um, podcast hosts, I, I have it, maybe it's a bad habit, maybe it's okay, but I, I judge, I judge podcast hosts based on their consistency. If I'm going to sit there and listen to somebody talk about deer, talk about hunting, um, I they better know how to hunt, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't care to listen to somebody that you know is a is not a good hunter, so um but you've been very consistent and it always seems especially in the last few years like what you just said about the the rut timing and you know having the a lot of the bigger mature bucks come out at this certain time period in the rut uh i feel like in the last several years it's been a consistent you killed a big buck and it's a big buck that you didn't know existed uh or at least you didn't have a lot of pictures of him. Yeah, he wasn't a regular. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. And I'll tell you this, on the properties that I hunt, I just got done having a, actually, let's see, we're recording this on a Wednesday. This episode is going to launch, what, on Thursday. So the the most recent uh, Nine Finger Chronicles episode that, I, uh, that we released, and we basically talked about if summer trail camera pictures mattered. 
Okay. And like what, you know, if I catch a big buck or a, a good deer on camera in July, how can I use that to strategize for the fall? And, and for me, the answer is really, I don't. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because one thing that I've noticed, uh, that, you know, right now, man, there, my farms are, are stacked with, with big deer, but something happens in, in, uh, September velvet comes off food source changes and there's a shift and they, I have a feeling it's food source changes, additional pressure in the woods from guys going out and starting a whole bunch of people starting to set tree stands and put trail cameras out mixed with jockeying for position like bucks are starting to say hey this territory is mine or hey i'm gonna go back to my fall range and and so there's this shift right all these things probably play a role into it i mean even the fact that uh cattle cattle are being pulled out of their fall pastures and put into their um their or pulled out of their summer pastures and put into maybe a different pasture or, or things like that so anyway um so what happens is there's this shift and so for me over the years, I've just been like, man, I, I, I really, I I need real time data. And what I mean, real time data, I mean, just, I mean, data that is the most recent. So, uh, for example, this past year on the buck that I killed, um, I went to Nebraska, I went to South Dakota and then back to Nebraska on that trip. And then I came back to Iowa. And I don't think I, I, I sat in a tree stand in Iowa until October 25th this past year. And that's when I started putting the moves on in, in Iowa. And so by then, I, I knew kind of what deer were running the circuit, what deer were in the area. And then I went to a different farm uh, that I typically hunt for the rut. And... Uh, I got trail camera data of the buck I ended up shooting. And so what I did was I kind of used that, that in Intel of, he wasn't around all summer, right? There's no trail camera pictures of this buck up until like October 16th. Um, and it was, it just happened to be a daylight picture. And then I got pictures of him somewhere around the 28th. And then I got another picture of him like November 1st or something like that. And so I, I kind of used that Intel to say, okay, he's running this, this area, but I didn't know he was there. I, I didn't know he was, you know, there all summer long because there was no pictures of him. And this is, this is after the fact that I, you know, I put, I put all the pieces of the puzzle after I shot him through pulling trail camera cards and things like that. But the, those three pictures and three different trail cameras allowed me to triangulate his position. And he wasn't really, making any moves until I shot him on November 4th. And he wasn't even around uh, the farm heavily until that, uh, that October 16th timeframe. So um, it's just a matter of that, that consistency is just evaluating what is in the area at that time. Because if you get fired up over a summer trail camera picture and you put all your eggs in that basket, you don't have any other intel. You could just be sitting in the wrong spot all, all fall. Man, I could not agree with you more. Um, I don't typically, I don't use trail cameras a lot. Uh, not that I won't ever, I just I just don't right now. And I also, at this point in my life, I don't summer scout a lot for the same reasons that you're mentioning. Like, yeah. I could go in and find good habitat and good, 
you know, terrain features and things yeah. like that. I, I could definitely do that. And, you know, I could go in and try to find fresh deer sign right now in July. Yeah. But the reality is, is all that stuff's going to change. And so yep. I take a similar approach without trail cameras, but um, I, I would consider what you're doing to be in the same category as in-season scouting. You're taking yeah. the most recent intel and hunting it. And I think a lot of guys get caught up. Have you ever seen, Dan, on social media where people get a big, you know, 180-inch buck on trail camera and, uh, it, I mean, never kill anything. You know, they don't yeah. ever kill the big giant buck. But it's almost like, it's almost like the way that the way that we get a big buck mounted they kind of do that with this trail camera picture and they like put this trail camera picture on the pedestal like the deer's already dead like it's a bragging yeah. right and I, yeah. I don't know man i it just it always kind of i'm not going to say it rubs me the wrong way i don't care you know if, if it makes somebody happy then fire fire away i don't care but just as far as being being effective in the woods yeah. it, it doesn't seem like there's a lot and people are going to hear this the wrong way. Like I'm saying, there's nothing you can do in the summer to help you be a better deer hunter or to to find a, a spot to kill deer. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying exactly what you're saying, Dan. Like, there is not a better time to do scouting, to have a trail camera out, to be, you know, in the woods and, 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 and what's the right word? Uh looking through data finding yeah. the finding the data there's not a better time than in the season when you can go in and yep. actually make a move yep it's it becomes for me and, and i think <laughs> this is gonna sound crazy but i actually think becoming busy with three kids and business and and just life has allowed me to stay out of the woods mm -hmm. a, a little bit but then when it's time to hunt, I can hyper-focus, I'm more aggressive, and I get in the woods, and I know that, hey, man, I can't hunt 20 days anymore. Right? I can't hunt, I can't go after one deer for 20 days. And a lot of people, and this is, again, a, a lot of guys heavy on the public land side of things. You hear them talk about, oh, Jesus, man, there's so much pressure, Right. Newsflash, you're part of the pressure. If you go in and hunt a piece of property, you are part of the pressure. So I, I try to remove myself from the pressure list until the deer start to get a little dumb, right? And they start to, you know, they're, they're, they're on their feet more throughout the day. You know, I'm not the guy who, I know where the bedding areas are at. I know where the pinch points are at. I've done my scouting, you know, I, I've, I've, I've hunted these places several years now, so I can, I have an understanding of the deer movement, but then like, I don't, I, I go in for the kill when I go in for the kill. It's not like I'm, I'm just, eh, well, I know it's October 1st and nothing's going to happen tonight, but I'm going to go in and hunt anyway. Right. To me, it's not a high, it's not a high, uh, it's not a high statistical kill night. I've learned to avoid those nights, right? And I've learned to keep myself busy other other ways with family or, you know, stuff around the house or, or get my work in because when it's time to get in and go bananas, it's time to get in and go bananas, right? So, and then yeah. I can just shed all those other responsibilities and go in. 
and I think on the farm that I hunted this past year, um, I'm trying to think, I, I knew, I knew the route that historically these deer were running, right? I had the trail camera picks, but at the same time, like what you were talking about, I didn't, I don't, I don't ever take a, I don't even, I, I like to take a trail camera picture about a week back as far as I'll, or as far as I'll get excited. And if I have something within that five, if I, I have a hit in, in five days, then I'll get another hit, let's say three days. And then I'll, I'll check a trail camera and this is what happened. I, I checked a trail camera the night before or the morning, uh, that morning, got another pick of them and I moved into the spot. And so that trail camera data was awesome. But if it's, but if it's October 1st and I'm hunting November 4th, that picture really doesn't mean anything because yeah, he was there at a specific time, but he, you know, the chances of him being in this area right now are, are, are different than what they were October 1st. Right. So, Mm -hmm. and we all know how deer move across, like sometimes they're really tight. They keep the same core area, but other times, man, they're just crazy all over the place. They'll walk through the middle of the field. They'll walk through the thickest trashiest area there is now i don't know if i answered your question but it's like for me the the trail camera uh intel is awesome but on a shorter scale yeah yeah no i mean and most people most people are going to relate to exactly what you're saying Mm -hmm. uh they're not going to have i mean they got full-time jobs families kids whatever yeah um i've just found as i've as i've grown into being a dad and being a business owner and also, you know, trying to, trying to create content around deer hunting and, um, yeah. doing this Southern ground stuff. My time is just a lot better spent going hard, going balls to the wall during the season, like during yeah. the season, I will, I'll do all, a lot of scouting. I'll do, I'll do all that stuff and I'll get it. Yeah. And typically, you know, be pretty consistent on and killing deer. But man, I, I used to, I used to be like, man, I didn't scout at all this week in July. I'd, I'd scout all the time, at least once or twice a week. And now I'm just like, looking back at that stuff at those times, I don't know that there was ever anything from a summer scout that really contributed to me killing a deer. Yeah. in the season you know and, and so it, it doesn't mean it's bad if you've got time to do it if you're single don't you know don't have to work every single day or whatever you got a day off yeah go out it's not gonna hurt you know yeah. it, it, it may cause a little bit of pressure but um for the most part once the season comes in that's all going to be it, it, it's going to be reset by then don't spend crazy amounts of yeah. time in one area but um it i mean i think people could really do themselves a favor and save them a little bit of time and uh and do kind of what we're talking about but dan you uh like we said you're 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 a passionate bow hunter you are uh a business owner people who who may not know dan owns the sportsman's empire podcast network which is what uh southern ground is a part of and uh, has been a great friend to me over the past several years and really helped me out in getting this thing started. And, I, and I've had lots of conversations with you, Dan, but there's one conversation um, that many people were a part of 
<laughs> and and I, I'm not trying to throw you under the bus on this deal, uh, but it was at ATA a couple of years ago. You remember that? Yes, I do. Um, you were sitting. You were sitting right next to me. Yes, I was. <laughs> and, and I like. I think my my favorite is when I when I started to get fired up about the topic at hand. Um, you, you were like, and this is one of like the first. I think this was the first time that we ever met in person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you're sitting next to me and, uh, and like I got fired up and I was talking really heated into this whole group of people and, uh, uh, you know, the, the passion and, and the love for the, the deer and bow hunting and the natural resources, just nature in general, all kind of came out and you're looking at like, you were kind of looking down at the table and you're like, I could read your face and it was like, it was like, what did I just get myself into? Like, <laughs> holy shit, this guy is nuts. <laughs> I, I and it wasn't that. Uh, it was just a. It was it was funny. The thing I remember about that it was uh, me and you and Bob sharing a hotel room, and yep. um, and for for everybody wondering, Dan may or may not have shed some tears. Oh, I cried in I, this. I'll admit uh, it. I cried. I got this, fired up, uh, man. It was like a little keynote thing that um, Aaron Warbritton kind of hosted at ATA several years back. And it was about kind of just like the state of the hunting industry type deal. And um, I remember we were, after that whole incident, we were sitting in bed. And it was dark in the hotel room. I was asleep in the, or laying down in the other room. And I can't remember if it was me or Bob that said it, but it was like, hey, Dan. Remember that time you cried in front of a bunch of guys at the ATA show? <laughs> yeah, that was Bob. Yeah, I remember that. <laughs> uh, we were all almost asleep, and you're like, shut up, man. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but the conversation was um, just kind of the state of, of hunting, and you said something uh, a few minutes ago about kind of being in an internal struggle with size of antlers versus, you know, experience. And I know this past year, Dan, you shot you shot a buck that you wouldn't typically shoot in uh, in Iowa. You shot a buck in another state that, um, if I had to guess, as far as I've been following you, it's probably the smallest buck you've shot in what ten years, um, maybe more than that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so first off, I'll say that from the the deer I shot out of state, I'm, I I don't hold myself to the same standards uh, right. out of state that I do. Because it's not, number one, I don't know the properties as well as I do. I don't run trail cameras on those properties, so I don't really have an idea of what's running around. And so the, and I feel like, uh, just like anybody should, you should take advantage of when an opportunity presents itself. And so this deer um, gave me an opportunity and gave me an experience that I didn't want to pass up on. And I ended up shooting my first out-of-state buck and he's like a 110 inch eight pointer right really cool characteristics and and the story though is what makes this so what made me shooting this deer so awesome right it was the strategy in you know we rolled up on a piece of uh, a public in south dakota i saw there was a lot of deer sign even saw some deer while we got up there that morning because another piece had uh didn't pan out and so we made him. We put a game plan together. Made a move, and sure enough, it worked. And I 
I, 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 I took an opportunity, right? And, you know, I'd be crazy if I was holding my um, self to the same standards that I have in Iowa because they just, it wouldn't happen, right? I, I would be just eating tag soup every single year. So, to, and to answer your question, it's, um, I, I, I used to be the guy who was all worked up about antler size, right? Just antlers, got to have big antlers, got to have big antlers. But to me now, I've kind of realized that not only are the antlers the, to me, and this is my opinion, the least important, right? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like at the end of the day, just like kind of like money, you can't take anything with you. And you're only left, even if I, I fill my house up with giant deer, when, when it's time to go to the nursing home or it's time to go to the grave, right? I'm not taking any of that stuff with me, except mm-hmm. if my mind is still somewhat clear, I'll have those memories forever, right? And maybe some pictures and things like that. Uh, don't get me wrong. I, I still go down into where all my downstairs to where all my mounts are, and I'll look at that mount. And I will be like, dude, this is so awesome. Like, I I remember, I'm looking at this mountain. I'm reliving that every time. But I do that with pictures too. And so I think think when I, I'm just lucky that I get to live my dream in Iowa where there are big antlers. But it's not the driving force in the decision making, right? Or or it doesn't doesn't mean anything to me, right? The, The antlers, the score doesn't mean anything it's just a number right so i feel like the people who emphasize score right they're they're really missing out because there's a whole bunch of other information that they could share that trumps the score and so i i feel like i i I honestly feel like the tide is kind of shifting a little bit away from this big buck craze where you got oh dude like Uh, 180 190 200 right that to me is like cool but 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 how'd you kill him what was the wind direction what's the access route like as a as a deer nut these that's what i want to know yeah right and so i think the industry over the years has really focused on the antlers so much that it's it may have hurt us in the long run and now there's there's this slight shift to where and kudos to the public land surge where you know big deer are still a thing but it's there's way more content and stories behind uh what it what goes into achieving success on a medium deer or a small deer or any deer really um, and so all of that should be celebrated and not overshadowed by a number or a ranking or things like that, because there's still a lot of people out there who have huge platforms that think that, Hey, I need to hit a certain number because that's, what's going to solidify me as some kind of great, like it's going to, it's going to mean I'm great in some way, shape or form. Again, don't get me wrong. Big deer are awesome. But there's so much more that goes into it than just a, a number. And I think like kind of going back to the original conversation about getting so fired up is I, I've seen I've seen this number, these numbers, these scores. It, it's made people do some really shitty things 
right? And mm-hmm. there's been some people with some big platforms that have straight up poached and they've straight up broken laws to try to get to um to 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 get to a number or or to share stuff. And in my eyes, that's unacceptable. And these people should not be involved in the hunting community or the hunting industry at all ever. And especially, I also believe in second chances, but at the same time, if, if you're a habitual, like there's people out there who just, they, you're, you're not a, you're not a conservationist. You don't love the natural resource. You're not passionate about deer if you're just slaying for a number. And, uh, I think, I think at that point you're just missing the point and you're just a killer. And so I don't know. Um, I don't know. I blacked out there. So (laughs) (laughs) I thought you're going to cry again. Um. No, no. I just get, (laughs) I just get, I just get really passionate because I feel like there's people out there who are taking advantage of the natural resource. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're taking advantage of the people. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're looking for entertainment, there's people out there who can provide you with great big deer, big buck entertainment. But if you're if you want to learn something about deer hunting, those are not the people that you want to follow. Yeah. There's other there's other groups of people and other content out there that are um that are available and I think the the public in general, the deer hunting public in general community is starting to find that out that there's a there's a big difference between entertainment and education and so um, the people who are providing the entertainment are not going to be the best source for education well you know i I, if i'm if i'm looking at this and i'm going to ask you a question based on this but but i'll share what i think first with what you said i think it always seems like the quote-unquote bad guy or the villain in a situation always seems to be a loud minority. You, you can look at that with with politics or or anything. You know the yeah the um it, it always seems to be a loud minority of people. What I find is my engagement, uh, just just social media engagement and. Um, watching people like uh, my buddy Eric Clark, who does the OKest Hunter, watching how his brand has grown tremendously, watching uh, even the hunting public, you know, they're they're shooting great bucks, but they're, I mean, in in Iowa, I, I would say, uh, for the most part, I would say average sized deer. They're not shooting like big, huge, giant. 180 inch bucks in Iowa they're shooting yeah they're not shooting Drury deer they're no. not shooting Lakoski deer no right? they're Comple- shooting two completely different environments yeah I, I would I would say they're not even shooting Dan Johnson deer like they're shooting <laughs> like they're shooting good respectable deer I, I, and I'm not yeah. trying to say anything but people love it they eat it up man and yep. uh yep. it's and relatable it, it is I think it's relatable for more people um, then shooting a big buck, everybody likes seeing a big buck get shot. Don't get like, don't get me wrong on that. I think even the, even the, the meat hunters, you know, like seeing big bucks get shot. Um, and everybody likes shooting big bucks, but I think as far as relatable things, um, I think that's really good. So Dan, I want to know 
as you were um, wiping tears from your face at ATA show several years ago, <laughs> it, it, you were you were talking about um, there there was something that was driving that passion. And when you think about the villain of the hunting industry, right the 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 things that in that in that um, that speech that you made, the things that were driving that passion when you think about the villain what is it are you are you talking like people who only care about antlers are you talking about people who only care about money like what what is your what was the driving force in that right so let's let's answer this with maybe a different example right so greed typically the end result of greed is is just not a good thing, right? Someone suffers, someone has to sacrifice more than somebody else, right? And so let's just take the American Buffalo for an example, right? Greed damn near wiped them out off the face of the planet. And now, for the most part, Buffalo are kind of just uh, in national parks and secure areas, and they're not... There's probably a wild herd out there somewhere. Right? I, I'm not. I'm no expert at that. But that's that's what happens, right? So mm-hmm. you can still hunt buffalo, but you have to go hunt it in a a manner through an outfitter for the most part. There's no. I don't think there's any like, hey, you can go buy a tag and go hunt them on some public, right? So what I what I've seen over the years, and and the good part about this is that it's changing, right? part of my job and how I get paid is promoting products, right? And what sells products? Attention, right? And how do you get attention? A big deer, right? Uh, quick, quick attention, mm-hmm. right? And so for, for, for all these years, you've had the, the focus be on the antlers, right? And then yeah. I, I wonder, I would love to have the conversation um, with the person who like was the first person to say in, in in whether it was writing or an internet blog or a podcast, whatever, it's like, Hey dude, big antlers are awesome, but it's how they're getting these big antlers are, are unrealistic to 95 plus percent of the hunting population. Right. And and how do you get that? You, you get, you get that through habitat manipulation, food, like very, very low pressured properties where the deer are the main focus. They're basically, they're basically the livestock, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we have here is all of these people going out into the woods and have these unrealistic expectations of how to hunt and where to hunt, right? For the, for when I was watching when I was watching, like, uh, and I, I'm sure you had them too, but the Monster Buck series, yeah, right, where it was like f- 50 kills in one hour, <laughs> right, like, <laughs> just like slaying the whole time, and a majority of all of these videos were, were, I don't know, on field edges, over food plots, and over hay fields, and Milk River, you know, like, yeah. like that, that kind of, that kind of. Uh, that layout. So what did I do? I took that into the woods with me and I didn't see it. Like I had, I, I didn't hardly kill anything over, uh, field edges through, throughout my, I guess my, 
my time spent hunting. And so there's, so there was this distinction for a while that in order to kill a deer, you had to do the same thing that the people were doing who were making the content. And then there was this disconnect between that and actually how you should approach the properties that you hunt. And that's what I'm, that's what I, I've, my main goal is to like disconnect. And that's why I bring on so many people like the nine finger Chronicles, man, we've had over 700 episodes now that we've launched and I've talked to hundreds of people. Right. And I don't think I should be giving advice to anybody. Right. I should be talking about the principles and how deer use terrain and how deer use their senses and and things like that. And then provide examples to people and say, okay, how can I, how can I take this and implement it on the properties that I hunt? How can I, I take a similar terrain feature that I heard about in this podcast or how deer use their nose or how deer use wind and thermals and things like that. And how can I, um, implement that on the properties that I hunt? And so, and so I think like if we're talking about a villain, I, I think in a way we are kind of the villain. We've kind of been duped into thinking that there's this specific way or propping up people who like are, are, are not hunting the same as us. Like, Oh my God, so-and-so is the best hunter. Actually, no, he's not. He's really good at growing crops. He's really good at staying out. He's really good at checking trail cameras. And then when that deer does pop up on trail cameras, he, he he's really good at passing them so that the next year he's bigger. Right. That's what they're really good at. Yeah. They're not, they're, they're not really good at like getting dropped off, going into the woods, quickly locating sign. Like they're not good at that. They're good at a whole bunch of other things. And then they're also good at the moment of the truth at the moment of truth, not missing. Right. Mm -hmm. But so there's, there's all these different, there's these, there's a whole bunch of different styles, right? You, you can do the land management style. You can do the public land style. There's a whole bunch of different styles. And I think that the villain in this scenario is us not, uh, not realizing what we are, right? Not acknowledging what we are and then taking, we got to, if, if we're looking, if we're going to talk about content, we have to find content. If we're, and if we're trying to be entertained, there's a ton of that out there. If we're trying to learn and educate ourselves on how to be better deer hunters, we need to find what we are relatable to. Like, why are you watching? Like, if you're trying to be a better deer hunter, why are you watching some guy um, who has thousands of acres and plants food plots and has bulldozers and spends thousands, thousands and thousands of dollars in diesel fuel every year. Like, how is that relatable to what you're doing? Right. It's probably not. So if you're looking to be educated there, you need to find something that's, that's more relatable. Yeah. And like you said, Dan, man, I mean, I, I grew up watching, real tree monster bucks and dude i would probably sit and watch it right now because absolutely let's just be honest we like to watch big bucks die like yep we just we enjoy it's enjoyable for people who are hunters uh sometimes you know i watching the nfl ain't gonna make me a better football player but sometimes i just want to be entertained i just like watching yeah watching 100 something like that um but at the same time 
I don't know that it can be a driving factor into getting people into the outdoors and learning to be better. It, it just can't, you know, there's, yeah. and, and I think you're right. There's different, there's different, uh, like if, for example, um, sitting down and watching the NFL, that's going to be mostly entertainment sitting down and watching a NFL player talk about, you know, their workout or their, uh, their training or, or whatever that might actually help you that might out, that might actually help you be become a better football player if that's what you want to do yeah. um you know going to a going to a, a summer sports camp you know with that same NFL player teaching you that. so basically what I'm saying is is there's there's and really I'm just echoing what you're saying there's there's ways for you to be entertained and there's also ways for you to be educated and yeah uh, sometimes those aren't going to be the same the, the it's not going to you're not going to get both from watching one video sometimes you might yeah you might not get both from listening to one podcast but sometimes you might you know it, it's a and i think you're right i think you know that that was deep when you said i think we're the villain i wanted to kind of do like a, a a snap applause because it was such a deep a deep answer um but I think I think you're exactly right. I think uh, the consumer, the consumer is kind of who makes that decision, <laughs> unfortunately. Yeah. yeah, it is. And 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 th- in my opinion, here's where I get the most frustrated with. Right, I'm not mad at anybody. Right, I'm 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 just voicing my opinion at this point. I get this is where I get the most frustrated though, is the people who have the biggest platforms they're not i feel like they're not they're not voicing or or spreading the word about conservation they're not using their platform to benefit the natural resource as a whole they're they're taking away from it right they're Mm -hmm. taking away from the natural resources but they're not doing anything from a conservation standpoint right and and when you are doing (laughs) When, when you're doing a, hey, I've partnered with Mountain Dew to, to help bring awareness to conservation, that's not conservation. Now, Dan, okay. I thought we talked about <laughs> not calling anybody out on this podcast. I didn't call anybody out. I didn't call anybody out, right? But what I'm telling you is that that has to be something. If you're passionate about it, you have to want to do that, and you have to want to do that a lot, okay? Because if you're only doing it when people are offering you money, that's not conservation. Okay. That's an opportunity for you to make some, some cash and grow your brand and things like that. That I I feel like that's not conservation. If you're taking time out of your day to promote a message and send people to an organization and say, say to yourself, Hey man, um, you know, why, why do we need to do this? Because the natural resource depends on it. Right. Uh, and, and so I feel like there's not enough of that. Right. Every and, and, and rightly so. Right. In this in this day and age, when we when we just scroll blindlessly through Instagram or social media. Right. And we're not we don't even self-admittedly people aren't even reading the text. They're just looking at the picture and then they're whatever. Right. <laughs> uh, there there's 
we're, we're part of the problem. But at the same time, the conservation talk doesn't get the likes, doesn't get the clicks, doesn't get the attention. Therefore, it's a waste. Like some people view it as a waste of time to put out that content because they feel like, hey, man, if I, I could be making money doing, uh, doing something else. Right. Mm -hmm. But I don't give a shit. It is your responsibility. If you have the platform, it is your responsibility to do something about it because there's people out there. There's organizations out there. There are anti hunters out there who are plotting and planning right now to take, to take away our hunting rights. And so the fact that no, like the biggest names in the industry don't share anything about this these topics it's that's that's the frustrating part for me mm -hmm. yeah i mean challenge accepted i think yeah. uh i think for a lot of people and, and here's the thing it doesn't have to just be influencers or creators or somebody with a platform you know to do these things everything that you're talking about like that that's there for the average guy i think i i, I would go even further to say that if the average guy is is consuming content and not and and not doing anything for conservation and when i say anything i mean it's so easy to do things for conservation these days you know you mm -hmm. you could sign up to support a, a slew of organizations that right. you know 10 bucks a month or 15 bucks a month gets taken out of your bank account automatically. And, you know, I mean, you're, it's, there's definitely more things that you can do, but that's a, that's a great way for the average guy to do yeah. something like that. And I think, I think if, if anybody is taking advantage, you could, you could say if you're, if you're going out and you're shooting, let's say you shoot three deer a year off of public land, but never doing anything else, for conservation i mean you're no different than the than the guy that's taking money yeah. for it you know yeah and i and a lot of people say oh man like conservation that's time consuming and and I, you know like how am i going to work with the national deer association to do this i mean you don't have to right one of one of my earliest memories about conservation was my dad talking to me about conservation and my dad's not a hunter, right? But he understands that in order to keep a place beautiful or keep a natural resource thriving in an ecosystem, there has to be involvement at a local level to mm -hmm. make those things happen, right? So, and, and if you're like me, I could go and donate $100 to uh, a big organization, but what am I actually seeing with my own eyes, am I seeing any results from that? Maybe, maybe not. But if I go to my local county conservation board or I go to a local thing and say, hey, man, how can I help you? Right. Whether it's give them a hundred dollars or, you know, and, and, you know, money is irrelevant at this point or give them, give them your time and, and, and then you can actually see the change in your your local area. And then that's like you're driving down the road with your kid and it's just like, hey, I helped build that wood duck box. Or, hey, I helped uh, spray all the invasive species off this little little part over here. Or, 
hey, I, I helped fix a trail or I picked up garbage at that trailhead. Like that's the things that actually matter in, in at the end of the day. And, and I think that if a lot of people hop on board and do that, I'll tell you, man, it, that this, this, that's a, that's a big snowball and it doesn't take a lot of time or energy out of a single person's day to do that. Yeah. I mean, what, so I worked at a church, Dan, you know, this, I worked at a church yep. for most of my adult life and, uh, at the, at the church that I more recently worked at, the pastor, uh, would talk to us about, about this, um, in terms of, in terms of giving, right. And, and serving, um, and it really works the same way. He he talked about how some people some people are gifted in uh, giving. You know they have they have their have great finances and they can give to support a vision, right? And and maybe you find yourself in that category when it comes to conservation. Like, hey, I don't got a lot of time. I work a lot, whatever. But I can give money. Money's needed. Some people they serve their church or serve God by serving like they they are the hands that that make sure everything gets done so maybe you find yourself in a situation where like crap I I ain't got a lot of money I mean my money ain't gonna do anything for you it's barely doing anything for me but I can work you know I can I can go and do what you're talking about I can go spray weeds or you know uh any of the other hands-on cleanup trash or whatever any of the other hands-on uh things that you can do for conservation and so i think it really works the same way um you know we all have we all have different strengths um and we all have things that maybe aren't as uh possible for us to do but if you're doing something then that's that's a good way to start i think that's a so so dan that's 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 the the that's the reason behind the waterworks correct like that was yeah i mean that was, it was it. it's just it was just a whole bunch of you know and i think a lot of it had to do with at the ata show this is just you know full disclosure not talking shit on the ata show is i, I walked through that that showroom at the, that day and there was nothing all the conservation uh all of the conservation uh booths were out in a hallway and no one was walking by them yeah. Right. So it just kind of there's all this buildup and it was just like a flood of big buck. This product kills big bucks. And then like seeing all the people there, the industry people who had these smiles on their faces and they were, you know, all, you know, like it was just this. There was nothing. There was it, that whole building was void of anything that had to do with actually giving back to the natural resource. And so I got. And, and I, I probably went overboard and said some things I probably shouldn't have said, but at the same, t- uh, you know, uh, and no, at the sa- <laughs> no, but, but at the same time, it's, it would just was this, it was so many years of being in this hunt. Yeah, this makes me sound like a douchebag, but being in the hunting industry and being because hunting changed my life, right? It is the reason why I am a better person it is because of bow hunting but you know, specifically bow hunting. Right. And so I dedicated my life to, you know, outside of my family, I dedicated my life to becoming a better bow hunter. And I realized that in order to be a better bow hunter, you had to do a whole bunch of things. And that included the natural resource itself. And when I see a room of people not giving a 
fuck about the natural resource, but all they wanted to do was make money off of it. It, it, it overwhelmed me. And that's when I got, that's when I got frustrated. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was, it was definitely a rated R speech. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the, the people who put on the, the people who put on the, uh, uh, <laughs> the event that little media gathering <laughs> they did not have a clue what was coming <laughs> they, when, they were like, when i when i raised my hand and they pointed at me they were like they were sitting around a, a board table uh, yeah you know probably a few months earlier thinking you know it'd be really cool if we got all <laughs> these like-minded individuals to come and have a really pure conversation about the state of the hunting world and and the hunting industry and yeah. They, they, I don't think they imagined uh, Dan Johnson was, going bananas for about happen. five minutes. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, Dan. Like, I liked you more after that, and and I really like. I will remember that until the day that I die. In fact, we were yeah. uh, Mark Kenyon came up and hunted, um, came up and hunted with me this past fall, and the, it came up. Like we, yeah. we talked about it, you know, I mean, it was a memorable moment and, and I think part of the reason it was so memorable is because it was so, uh, I think a lot of people in that room could relate. Sure. I'm sure there were people in that room that were offended by it, but I think the the majority of guys in there are like, yeah, I mean, I wish I could say that out loud. Um, yeah. like Dan just did. Cause I think it was, it was, it was good. And, um, I thought it would be so cool to talk about and and informative to talk about the reasoning behind that, especially right now we're in the off season and um, it, you know this as well as I do, Dan, you can only talk about tactics so much, right? Yeah. Like at some point you do have to talk about, about other things. And so, you know, maybe the, maybe the action item for people is to do just that, find the conservation organization or, uh, or, figure out locally different local chapters of different organizations that you could yeah. be a part of uh, yeah. what what's something that what's one that you that you highly recommend dan i know you're you're into that and you support a lot so yeah so um first off i want to say that despite me going crazy and 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 voicing my opinion and having a, like an emotional breakdown in that meeting next year guess what all of the conservation booths were on the main floor. And so I felt like maybe that was because of me. Maybe it wasn't. But either way, I saw change the next year, right? So maybe there's a more professional way, way to do what I did. But whatever I did, it got people's attention and it kind of worked. So um, maybe, maybe I did that, maybe not. You, it From was just – you used a Donald <clears throat> Trump strategy, right? You, uh, I mean, Donald Trump knew how to get some folks fired up about some yeah. things and it wasn't always, um, it wasn't always the, the norm, the nicest, cleanest way to do it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I mean, a lot of times he saw changes come from those, those type of Absolutely. speeches. So yep. you just trumped everybody at ATA. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, from a, so I'm a, I'm a huge advocate for 2% for conservation. I sit on their board, um, board of directors. And so I really do think that I'm not going to sit here and talk to you about all the ins and outs about 2% for conservation. Um, you just need to go to fishandwildlife.org, read up on it is all I'm asking. Uh, second, 
the, the, the next thing is local, right? If you want to get involved at a local level, right? People can throw cash if they want, but cash in order to see change, you have to be change and that takes action. And so action at a local level, I think it's going to get you more excited about conservation than saying, Hey, I wrote a check to this giant organization what is going to come from $35? What is going to come from $40? What is going to come from whatever dollar amount I, I donated? You're not going to see that, right? However, if you go to a local level and you donate your time, maybe a little, maybe, maybe some cash, but if you donate your time, you're going to see direct results. If you go clean up a trailhead or a parking area, you're going to see that you, that that's clean. Now you take your kids with you, uh, Every year after the 4th of July is over, me and my kids go to the public, the public hunting ground uh, where, where we live and we pick up the parking lots of all the dumbasses who shot fireworks off and then didn't clean it up. And we go clean that up. And so that's a, that is something that they see. And my daughter, every year now when we drive by, she goes, hey, remember when we cleaned up all that, that trash there? Like, yeah, that was cool, wasn't it? And, and so, so they get to see that too. And so local level, county conservation boards, um, even some of the bigger organizations have local chapters that are doing things in your area. Find those, right? And it doesn't matter what it is. Let's just say a lot of people, you know, this is a, the, the network is deer heavy. You know, Nine Finger Chronicles is deer heavy. But if you love butterflies and bumblebees and bugs, Man, they had they have conservation organizations for that. If you love flowers and plants and and birds, you know they got cons- they have conservation organizations for absolutely everything that people are passionate about. Find what you're passionate about and just give a little bit of your time. Yeah, I mean that's good stuff. It all it all works together, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So the next time we talk. We're going to, we're going to talk about the next time that we talk though, Parker, we're going to definitely talk about strategy because these conversations that we had today are necessary, but don't get me wrong, man. I love talking about, for some reason, I love talking about access routes. I've noticed that every time I come on a nine finger Chronicles podcast, we talk at some point about access and I hear you talk about it a lot. Yeah. Um, that, that kills deer, man. Access routes kill deer. Well, we need to plan that. We need to plan an episode, and it's going to be titled Access Routes Kill Deer. I like that. I like that. I mean, let's be honest. I've I've pretty well based my whole hunting style on access route. That's a fact. You know what I mean? That's a fact. Like like people think it's – I mean, there is a whole lot of other reasons behind water access, but, I mean, it's called water access. Let's, we could go off on a tangent. Let's stop it right there. (laughs) Um, and we'll plan for another episode. Dan, I appreciate you coming on, man. And, um, I look forward to, to seeing you, um, shoot smaller bucks in the future, right? That's what we're, (laughs) that's what we're coming away with. (laughs) No way, dude. I I want, I'd rather accidentally shoot giants on public land and out of state. I want to be that guy who's just like, I don't know how it happened. And then I, (laughs) I, I get lucky. That's awesome, man. That's cool. Well, thanks for coming on, Dan, and uh, I look forward to talking again. Absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of the Southern Ground Hunting Podcast. As always, a big shout-out to all of our partners. That's Go Wild, Spartan Forge, Tethered, New Canoe, and Scree Gear. 
You can keep up with Southern Ground Hunting by following us on Facebook and Instagram, or you can subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. And make sure you check out southerngroundhunting.com to pick up some of our merch, hats, t-shirts, stickers, stuff like that. I truly hope you enjoyed this week's episode, and we'll see you here again next week. Remember this, God gave you dominion over the birds of the air, the fish of the sea, and the beasts of the earth. So go out and exercise that dominion. We'll talk to you next time.